All right, so you guys know that I, from early service today that I was asked to come up here and speak. Um, my name is Ty. If you haven't heard of me before, most of you I think I know personally, so that's good. Uh, I'm the student, uh, one of my student leader right now, so that's pretty amazing. I was in the junior high and rose up through the ranks. Uh, actually, I've been here since working with the youth group since the fall of 2000. So like 19 years I've been doing something or other. Denver and I used to lead skits and, and stuff when Wade was in the leader. Then Eric Amadovar used our help and we moved on beyond that. So it's been a long process and they won't let me out. So please call 911 or something, please. Uh, no, but we have a great time in the youth group. Uh, it's one of the funnest things that I do. Uh, keeps me looking very, very young and uh, uh, acting even younger. Uh, but this past Wednesday, Pastor Jim stopped by my class, and he's like, hey, I'm going to Alabama, and uh, you're going to preach. I was like, oh, well, he asked, actually. He said, can you preach for me? And I, I, I froze like a deer in a headlight. I just said, yes, I, I can do that. And then I thought to myself, what have I done? Oh. And so I was like, well, you know, it'll probably be mostly my previous students from the past 20 years and some of their parents, so it's no big deal. So it's going to be all right, but... What I want to do tonight is just give you guys a taste, who haven't been in the youth group or anything, of what we as the uh, teen group study on a weekly basis. Um, this is kind of funny. The last time I preached a Wednesday night, uh, sorry, a Sunday night service was March of 2002. So this is kind of my anniversary, my 17-year anniversary. <laughs> And it was so awesome that they asked me back. So um, this is going to be pretty epic tonight. I'm really excited about this. I do want to say, though, it's a real honor to uh, have the chance to be up here to speak to you because I know that Pastor Jim pours his heart and soul into his messages. And uh, for you guys to spend your time here to listen to me, that's, that's an honor. Um, yeah, so this winter and this spring, we've been studying the life of David. Uh, I brought the book that we use. Um, it's called Facing Goliath, Dare to Engage in Spiritual Battles. It's been really good. Uh, it's by the people who, uh, the pastor who is at Lancaster Baptist Church in California. That's where West Coast Baptist College is. Some of our students are there. Um, so they have really good material. This is the second, third, maybe even the fourth uh, book from them that we've been able to use, and it does a great job for someone like me who doesn't have a lot of time to study every day for lessons because everything's really fleshed out, and then I get to review it, make sure I know what it's talking about, and present something that has some meat to it to the kids, so that's really nice. Um, so just to, as an overview, so far we've learned about uh, David answering the call of God on his life and how I challenge the teens to listen for God's call in your life and answer that. We learn how to face huge trials like the way David uh, faced Goliath by having faith in God and uh, with God's help. We learned about how David committed his life to serve his king, kings. He served Saul and the Lord, and he committed to do that from a very young age. Uh, we studied how David became a leader to his band of mighty men. Now, if there's one movie that I'd like to see made, it would be David's Mighty Men. That would be completely awesome. He's got these guys who, you know, they say the one guy squeezed his sword so hard that they had to peel his fingers out of the handle, or whatever it's called, hilt or blade, I'm not sure. Uh, that would be an awesome, awesome feat. He killed 200 guys in a bean field because he liked his beans. He's like, you're not getting my beans. Bring it on. <laughs> and he didn't get the beans, so, I mean, these guys are for real. The teens learned how to seek wise counsel from God's word and God's people, and we try to explain, like, go to people who know the Lord so that they can give you, like, scriptural answers and scriptural uh, reasons for things. Uh, this previous lesson, we were challenged by David and Jonathan how to have real friendship and true friends. So it's been a really good time. We've got 13 chapters. I've got to start looking for some new material because once I burn through this, it's going to be up to me. 
Uh, so hopefully I can find another book. I've got to call them up and say, come on, I need some more stuff here. So, yeah, you can pray for me in that, looking for some good material for our students. But tonight we're going to be talking about the uh, chapter that we just completed this morning. Uh, and it's one of the most difficult things, at least for me, as a Christian, that I've been challenged to do. And we're going to be looking at how David loves his enemies. When I think about it, I kind of get sad because I just want to smash my enemies. And the Bible uses the word smite a lot. And so in the teen group, we love the word smite. And we always tried to uh, figure out the the past participle of smite or whatever that thing is. It would be smate or smote or smut or smat. I don't know. We're smiting everything in the youth group and just like smashing it. It's great. And if it was up to me, I would be smiting my enemies. Uh, But according to God, he has a different plan. (laughs) So let me set the stage for you from all the previous chapters we've been uh, working through. And it's going to be kind of short. But turn in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 18. We're going to start in chapter 18, verse 6. But before we get to that, um, obviously you know that David grows up as a shepherd boy and he hears that there's a challenge from the Philistines to uh, fight one-on-one and the winner takes all. So he rises to the challenge. He goes out and defeats Goliath. And through that, everyone's honoring David, and Saul ends up asking David to come live in his house, in his courts, in the castle, whatever they had back then. So he does. David goes and lives with Saul uh, as a servant. And we come to 1 Samuel 18, verse 6 here. It says, And it came to pass as they came, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Philistine that the women came out of all cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tabrets, with joy, and with instruments of music. And the women answered one another as they played and said, Saul hath slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very wroth, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed unto David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And what can he have more but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day forward. It's like this. I see you, boy. I'm coming for you, okay? He had a problem with David. Um, Let's turn over to uh, verse 27 real quick. This is a little further in the story. It says, Wherefore David arose and went, he and his men, and he slew of the Philistines 200 men. Now this is a battle later on. And David brought their foreskins and gave them in full tale to the king that he might be the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him, remember, his daughter to wife. Does anyone know how to say that word? It's either Michael or Mikael or Michelle or Machel or... Michael? Okay, we're going to use Michael. Sorry, Michael. He gave him Michael to be, his do- to be his wife. Verse 28. And Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was yet the more afraid of David. And Saul became David's enemy continually. So, we see that Saul became the enemy of David all the time. Every day, from... The- Sun up to sundown, they're, they're in this fight. He sought to kill him regularly. This was not a good relationship, okay? Uh, he's living in the house of Saul, and he's like pretty much his boss. And he's like, oh, my boss only tried to kill me four times today. It's been a good day. And he's writing in his journal. And he's like, Hopefully today, tomorrow will only be five or six times. Yeah, that's, that's not a good story. David had an enemy that was trying to destroy him, and he had the chance to eliminate him. Several times, but he chose to love his enemy instead. So let's turn to our text for tonight. It's 1 Samuel 24. You can put a bookmark at this place because we'll be coming back to it often. 
In verse 1 it says, And it came to pass when Saul was returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men of all Israel and went to seek David and his men upon the rocks of the wild goats. And he came to the sheepcoats, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to cover his feet. And David, his men, remained in, his, in the sides of the cave. And the men of David said unto him, Behold, the day of which the Lord said unto thee, Behold, I will deliver thine enemy into thine hand, that thou mayest do to him as it is as it shall seem good unto thee. Then David arose and cut off the skirt of Saul's robe privately. And it came to pass afterward that David heard, sorry, David's heart smote him because he had cut off Saul's skirt. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth mine hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. So David stayed his servants with these words and suffered them not to rise against Paul, but Saul. But Saul rose up out of the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord, how that the Lord had delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but my eye spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, the, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not, now thou, oh, sorry, know thou, and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. And as saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom doth he per, thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, and deliver me out of thine hand. So, we are looking at how David was pursued all the time by Saul, and that finally he confronts Saul, and Saul, uh, and he challenges him. He's like, who are you trying to kill? A dog, a flea? It's just me, David. Why do you keep pursuing me with 3,000 men? Um, so for tonight, the lesson I want to talk about, two questions, really. And I want you to ask yourself these questions. How did David not destroy Saul you know, when he had the chance in the cave? How did he not do that? He's right there. He's close enough. He cuts a piece of his robe off, and then, and then he goes. And for ourselves, I want you to ask, how can I not smite my enemy, but rather love my enemy? How can I love my enemy and not smite them? Uh, so for a, just a mental exercise, I want you to picture your worst enemy right now. Uh, think of who that might be, and maybe you're holy and everything, and you don't have any enemies. That would be really awesome. Well, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's the Girl Scout cookie girl. Maybe she's the worst enemy you have. I, I don't know. She brought Thin Mints instead of macaroons or something. I don't know. Imagine the worst enemy you have, okay? And how can you love that person? Ugh. See, this is what I'm saying. When it's one of the hardest things for me to imagine the person that I would consider my worst enemy and then me loving them? I don't know about that. I had a really bad enemy uh, growing up. Um, his name was Brandon. Uh, he was my brother. Uh, when I was three years old, he came on the scene and started cramping my style. So I think there was something going on between him and I. Uh, he's three years younger than me. And because of that, like I'm usually around this tall and he's about this tall. 
uh, with the three-year gap. And so we never really got into too many fights. Be quiet, Mom. And uh, because, you know, I would hurt him and dominate him, and he was smarter than that, and I didn't want to bother. But there was this thing we had, and uh, my dad would come home from work, and he wanted us to do the dishes in the summer and or, or clean the house or do certain tasks while we were sitting around the house doing nothing all day. And so uh, if the stuff didn't get done, if Jet didn't get his stuff done, where are you at, Jet? If Kent didn't get his stuff done, if Brandon didn't get his stuff done, then Ty got to do all the stuff when Dad got home. Or at least that's the way it seemed, right? Because I was the oldest. He'd be like, why didn't Brandon get his stuff done? Ty, go do it. And that's what I do to Simon, just to keep the family tradition alive. But this one particular day, Brandon's not going to do his chores. And so I'm like, you have got to do the dishes. It was, I remember it was the dishes. So I drug him from the living room into the kitchen and like pushed him to the sink. Like that's really going to help. Okay. And uh, he turns around and he starts clawing me. And so I just kind of left. And as I was walking back into the living room, I passed by the stairwell that was on my left. And I hear this running towards me, and I turn around, and he's like, like this. He really upset or something, and he comes flying at me full blast. I was the scrawny little twerp, maybe 12 years old. I don't know how I did it, but it's one of the only four or five times I've had superhuman strength (laughs) in my life. I grabbed him by the neck with one hand and lifted him off the ground, and he's like doing this at my face, right? And I threw him into the stairwell, just kind of trying to get him off me, but also to show him that I'm not going to play this game with him. And he landed with his face right on our manual typewriter that was sitting on the second step. And, you know, that kind of upset him. And he comes, he, he stands up, and he's got Q-W-E-R-T-Y written on his forehead. And he comes running at me again. And this time I'm like halfway across the living room and I hear him and I look back and uh, instinct, I just grabbed him like this and threw him over my head and he goes flying through the air. And we had this little swivel rocking chair and it was padded and it rocked and it turned and he landed on that. Do you remember it was blue and it stood by the door? He landed on that chair and the thing cocks back like this and boing! And he went to the ground, and it went up in the air and landed on him like this. So I, I, in my wisdom, I, I went up to him, and I said, if you know what's good for you, you'll stay in there. You'll stay under there. And he did. So I ended up, I ended up doing the dishes, but it felt great. I washed the dishes with extreme vigor. I love smiting my brother when, when, when I needed to. So, but David did not smite Saul. Let's look at this. How did David not smite, small, smite Saul? Number one, he forgave Saul. Okay? Uh, one of the most healing statements that you can make in your life is, I forgive you. It removes bitterness from your life. It removes malice, envy, uh, malintent. Uh, it can really cleanse you from all these horrible things that you can let build up in yourself. Uh, The Bible commands us to forgive. If you keep your page here, but turn to uh, Ephesians 4.32. In the youth group, we have a saying. It's go eat popcorn. And go is Galatians. Eat is Ephesians. Pop is Philippians. And corn is Colossians. So we help us find the verses... In the Bible. And then I've got some other helpful tips for you guys, too, if you, if you struggle with this. We'll do those in a minute. 432 says this. And be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So for Christ's sake, we're forgiven. You know, if we believe in Christ, we're saved by Christ, we're forgiven. And for that reason alone, we should be willing to forgive other people. Uh, Paul gives us good reason, and I just read that. So I want, to, I want you to notice two things about the way David forgives. Number A, he forgives him from the start. Now I'm an engineer, so A's are numbers. Okay, where I'm from, it's a variable. So A, number A, he forgives him from the start. 
He didn't say, I'll forgive him next week. Or I'll just wait until he asks for forgiveness. That's what I really like to do. And I'll forgive him if they ask and beg and plead. And then I'll forgive him, okay? But he forgave them from the start. Uh, let's look at 1 Samuel 18. Uh, just a couple pages back from where you should have saved your page. Uh, let's see, we're on verse 10. First Samuel 18.10, it says, And it came to pass on the morrow that the evil spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied in the midst of the house. And David played with his hand, as at other times, and there was a javelin in Saul's hand. Hmm. How did this get here? I don't know. And Saul cast the javelin, for he said, I will smite David even to the wall with it. And David avoided out of his presence twice. So before David saw Saul in this cave, Saul took a javelin and threw it at him, trying to pierce him to the wall. Okay? Uh, so when I say that he forgave him from the start, uh, his intent would have, if he had you know, a human reaction to or a worldly reaction to what Saul did, he would have his revenge. Despite all this earlier trouble, David does not hold it against Saul in chapter 24. He forgave Saul, and he left the judgment of Saul's action against him in God's hands. Turn to Samuel 24, verse 12. We read this just a bit earlier, but it says, The Lord judged between me and thee, and the Lord avenged me of thee. But my hand shall not be upon thee. So he had already determined that he's not going to do anything about Saul. He's going to let God take care of it. And to do that, you really have to have forgiveness in a way that, okay, you know, I'm not going to hold this against you. God's going to hold it against you, but that's between you and him. We need to forgive our enemies from the start. And the start really is today. Today is the start of when we need to forgive our enemies. Uh, if we see them again or interact with whoever it is, uh, we need to have a clear conscience that we're going into that interaction with them being forgiven in our minds. The second way Saul forgives is he forgives them from the heart. Okay, So he forgives them from the start, and he forgives them from the heart. Forgiving from the heart is very hard sometimes. When my brothers and I would fight, uh, and I mentioned earlier that it rarely ever happens, so this probably only happened once. But uh, we would always be made to say uh, an apology to each other. And my dad would be like, oh, you need to apologize to your brother. And I would be like, okay. And then I would walk up to him or whoever it was, and I'd be like, I'm further from her. I don't know how many syllables there are in the word sorry, because I would just... I'm Vernon, and you know, it wouldn't be a sincere at all, apology. Uh, you can tell when your kid is not giving a sincere apology, and that's the, the way I used to do uh, with that. In 1 Samuel 19, turn there, verse 8. says this, and there was war again. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and slew them with a great slaughter, and they fled from him. And the evil spirit from the Lord was upon Saul, and he sat in his house with a javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. And Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with a javelin. This sounds very familiar, doesn't it? To the, ja to the wall with a javelin. But he slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall. And David fled and escaped that night. So here's a second account where he almost got pinned to the wall the first time by the javelin. And then Saul's like, oh, just come back. I'm, you know, it'll be all right this time. Just play some uh, music for me. How do I have it written here? It says, oh, yeah, this is the second time Saul had a javelin and asked David to play for him. And I could just see Saul, you know, sitting maybe in his rocking chair while David's playing his rock ballad on the harp to put him to sleep or something. And he's whispering to himself. Uh, he says, like, ah, this is great music. I can't wait to smite Paul to the wall when it's over. It's going to be amazing. And he throws it and he misses. And 
that guy was crazy. <laughs> he had some real anger issues. And, and it's interesting to me that David had to forgive him so many times for really the same behavior over and over and over. Kill him, kill him, kill him. That was his behavior. Um, but he did it. But he did have, let's, let's see, you would think that David would have said, no thanks, I'm gonna, my harp is off limits today, uh, I got stuff to do, I got lives to live. Uh, <laughs> but he, he should have said something after the first attempt. So how can we love our enemies if we can forgive each other from our heart with sincere forgiveness? We can love our enemies. Uh, there's an illustration here in the book, and that's one thing I like about the book. It comes with some pretty cool stories itself. It says this, when, a, when the Civil War began, one of those who answered the call for soldiers to fight for the Union was William Scott of Vermont. The young soldier, along with four of his brothers, traveled to Washington to join the Army of the Potomac. On the night of August 31st, 1861, Scott, who had volunteered to take the sentry duty of a sick member of his company, was found asleep at the post, guarding the bridge that led to the nation's capital. According to military law, the sleeping sentinel was tried and sentenced to be executed on September 9 by firing squad. The harsh punishment was meant to be a warning to those given positions of responsibility to be diligent and careful in discharging them. Yet it also seemed too harsh for a young man who had volunteered for duty. The case was brought to President Lincoln, who personally issued a pardon to Private Scott. Scott gave his pledge that he would never again fail in his duty to his country. Seven months later, during the battle at Lee's Mills, Virginia, Scott, who had already saved fellow server, sorry, several fellow soldiers from drowning, was shot and killed while carrying another volunteer, uh, sorry, another wounded soldier to safety. So here is President Lincoln giving him a chance, uh, forgiving him for the crime of falling asleep, and he went on to do great things. It says here, the forgiveness we extend to others may just be what they need to keep serving the Lord. As God forgave us from the start and from the heart, we ought to forgive others also. The second thing that um, David did, first he forgave. The second thing he did was he was respectful. It seems like in society today there's less and less respect for authority and it's probably not going to get any better anytime soon. And maybe authority doesn't do respectable things and maybe that's part of the problem. Uh, but not according to God. Uh, maybe your worst enemy is your boss or someone in authority over you. And if that's the case, this is a really good section for you. And here David showed how he can respect his horrible boss. <laughs> I can just imagine them sitting down for their quarterly review. And uh, let's see, you avoided my javelin 12 times. That's going to be 12 demerits. And I don't know how they keep score in the kingdom, but it probably didn't go well. Um, I had a really interesting boss when I worked here in town. Uh, I remember uh, we were working 11-hour days, eight, day, eight hours on Saturdays, and they kept asking me to come in Sundays. And so I basically got no days off. And I'm like, shouldn't you just hire someone else? Does that make sense? I don't know. Maybe, it's, maybe it made sense to me, not to him. But Dinah had just called me um, she found out her sister's son, his name is Paul, he, uh, she had just gotten pregnant and they found out he had spina bifida, spina bifida. So she was upset. It was upsetting to me. You know, who knows what that could lead to. It was very, very early in the pregnancy and her sister was devastated about it. And so I was talking to her for maybe four or five minutes on the phone and I hung up the phone and boy, that was the wrong thing to do was take a call during business hours. So maybe I shouldn't have done that. My, but my boss like chewed me out for that. And I'm just like, you can't let me take a call from a family emergency here? This is crazy. But I still should have respected my boss. And, and I think I did. We, we had a good relationship when I quit there and never looked back. So that was nice. Uh, but I didn't want to burn any bridges, so I did leave respectfully. Hopefully, hopefully that was the case. But bosses, they can be tough, you know. There can be situations that they don't know about, that you're going through, or they're going through that you don't know about. Uh, 
But David modeled how we should respect our authorities. He did this in two ways. His words were respectful, first of all. I want you to check this out in 1 Samuel 24, 6. This is the passage we read earlier also. It says this in verse 6. And he said unto his men, Lord... Whoa, no it doesn't. And he said unto his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing unto my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch forth my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. He's calling Saul his master. He's calling him the anointed of the Lord. And this isn't to Saul's face to gain favor. This is to his men in privacy, the men who know that Saul's hunting him, trying to kill him. So he really did have a respect for the position Saul held and who Saul was in his life. Uh, if you turn to Psalm 75, I'm going to read a couple of verses here. Oh, yeah, the other trick I like to use for the teens to help them find verses or chapters in, or books in the Bible is Matthew, Mark, Luke, Psalms. So you just go Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then you find Psalms. It really obviously is no help at all, so that way they learn to find it on their own. But basically when I say that, I'm trying to tell you, learn the books of the Bible, okay? Psalms 75. It's like one of those dad jokes that never gets old. I love it. I'm going to find it any minute now. 75 verse 6 says this, For promotions cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth down one, and he setteth up another. And David knew that God had set up Saul for the time to be king, and it wasn't right for him to take the matter into his own hands. It says David clearly understood that God was in control and that God set Saul as a king for the time being. If David was going to respect God, David had to respect Saul. Oh, ouch. If you are going to respect God, and if I am going to respect God, we have to be respectful to our authorities, okay? Who do you need to speak respectfully to this week? Uh... Let me reread that. It says, who do you need to speak respectfully about? And who do you need to speak respectfully to for God's sake this week? The second way he showed respect was his actions. His actions were respectful. If we turn back to Samuel 24, I'm going to read a little bit more of this. Verse 8. 1 Samuel 24, verse 8. It says, David wrote, also arose afterward and went out of the cave and cried after Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed himself. That's a sign of respect. And David said to Saul, Wherefore hearest thou men's words, saying, Behold, David seeketh thy hurt. Behold, this day thine eyes have seen how the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. And some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. So he goes on to say how, you know, I had the chance to kill you, and I did not because I respect you, because you're the Lord's anointed, essentially. Um, David doesn't harm Saul, even though he had the chance. He would not raise a hand against Saul. Uh, and a second account occurs where David has the chance to kill Saul, but he doesn't there also. Go to chapter 26. Verse 5. Chapter 26, verse 5 says, And David arose and came to the place where Saul had pitched. And David beheld the place where Saul lay. And Abner, the son of Ner, the captain of his hosts, and Saul lay in the trench, and the people pitched round about him. Then answered David and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zerurai, brother to Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul to the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with thee. So David and Abishai came to the people by night. And behold, Saul, laying sleeping, Saul lay sleeping in the trench, and his spear stuck in the ground at his bolster. And Abner, the people, lay round about him. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thy hand this day. 
Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said to Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, Furthermore, as the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take now the spear that is, it, that is at his bolster and the curse of water and let us go. So he did the same thing to him there. He, he had the chance to kill him, and he was even being uh, you know, encouraged by his comrade here to do it. And he was going to do it for him. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to let God take care of Saul, and we're just going to escape. It says Abishai wanted to kill, wanted David to kill Saul, but David would not. If you turn to Romans 13, I got a couple of verses here that I want to show you. Romans. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, Romans, Jeffrey. While I said that, I just passed it. Oh boy, here we go. Verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto the high, higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Uh-oh. Let's go down to verse 7. It says, Render therefore to all their dues... Tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. So when we respect and honor those in authority, uh, we please and we honor God because he's commanded us to do that. So the first way he loved his enemies was he forgave them, and then he was respectful. And then lastly, the third point I want to make tonight is he had forbearance. And I was kidding with the uh, teens this morning that four bear ants is like four giant bear-sized ants and they would go around with them. And yeah, that was pretty dumb. Uh, but at the same time, I had to look up what forbearance meant because I wasn't really sure. It's not a word we use very often nowadays. But luckily, I looked it up and it means this. Patiently restraining an impulse to do something. So if you forbear, you're waiting out an impulse. Now, I have another story from when I was a child. I used to love uh, Dale's Smorgasbord uh, from Pickwood. Does anybody remember that place? Uh, yeah, Tony, he knows what I'm talking about. My grandpa would take us there often, and I would uh, get all of our money's worth uh, on my own account. Um, I remember I would start with a plate full of salad, and then secondly, I would get a bowl of chili, uh, with cheese, crouton, sour cream, then uh, chicken, two fried chicken, uh, mashed potatoes, corn, and gravy. And then I would get a whole plate of shrimp. And once I got all that done and everyone else finally sat down, um, <laughs> I would go back to top it off. And Dale's was the best because it was like the lazy man's buffet. They had this one section where it spun around in circles and you just stood there and the food came to you. And it would be like, you didn't have to do any efforts. You're like, and the next one would come by. You're like, okay. And then you could go back to your seat. It was great. One day, I didn't control my impulses. And I ate like five or six or seven plates full. And we were on our way to see, I think, some model homes or something. It might have been in Lima. Uh, this is how I remember it as like an eight-year-old. And I had eaten so much food that I couldn't get my belt, like seat belt on. Because the one ounce of pressure was like going to crush my stomach. So I'm sitting in the back of the van with no seatbelt. And then all of a sudden, like it just swells, swells, swells. And it's hurting so bad. I ended up rolling around on the floor in the back of the van. All the way to line, like, oh, my stomach hurts. And you know what happened. My dad's like, if you ever eat that much again, I'm never taking you back to the buffet. Yeah, it was pretty bad. I had no self-control when it comes to buffets. 
Like, the funny thing is, like, everyone knows me for bacon, but I probably eat bacon like once a month or maybe or something. I like it. I'm a person. <laughs> but buffets, that's where I, that's my true nature. I'm a killer at buffets. Let's check out how the Bible uses the word forbearance. Uh, go with me to Colossians 3.13. Go eat popcorn, 3.13. says this. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Excuse me. Um, go to Ephesians 4.2. With all lowliness and meekness and long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. So if you're resisting the impulse to do harm to people, you're going to be lowly, you're going to be meek, you're going to be long-suffering with those people and not wanting to do them harm, being very patient, waiting, calm. Let's see how David uh, played that out. It says here, David restrained himself. First of all, he kept himself under, con- under control. If we go to uh, 1 Samuel 24 again, verse 11. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in, it, in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in my hand, and I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. So he kept himself, it says he controls himself when he had the perfect opportunity to seek revenge. Um, Don't give in to the temptation to seek revenge on your enemies. That's one of the reasons I find this so hard to do because I love revenge movies, you know, when the innocent guy gets in trouble and bad people hurt him, then he goes out and blows him up or whatever. I love that. It's the justice that you like to see. It's that sense of justice in, our, in ourselves. But don't seek revenge on your enemies. Uh, if you read verse 12, it says this, The Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but my hand shall not be upon thee. Vengeance is the Lord's. Um, if we go to Romans twelve nineteen real quick, and we're going to see that verse. Dearly beloved, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So the Lord is going to take control of the vengeance you need in your life. (laughs) How can you begin loving your enemies? Uh, Start by not seeking revenge. Okay, That's a real good place to start. (laughs) Because once you go down the path of revenge, I don't know, you can quote it for me, uh, Nathaniel. Forever will it dominate your destiny or something like that. Yeah, it's a problem because you can do things that are sinful actions against people and then you have to be forgiven for those things. So don't seek revenge. Uh, Number B under this section of forbearance, David refrained from doing evil. Back to 1 Samuel 24. Verse 24, verse 13 says, As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but my hand shall not be upon thee. So David knew where wickedness came from. It came from wicked people doing wicked things, and he wasn't going to be a part of that, even though he kind of should have had the right to at least protect himself from Saul. Uh, David did not want to be counted amongst the wicked. How did David not smite Saul? He refrained from evil. He loved Saul. So God's answer for life's conflicts are really simple. If you don't write anything else down tonight, write this down. This is really good. To solve most of life's conflicts, God wants us to forbear and forgive. So we 
withdraw the impulse to do harm, and we forgive those people who've wronged us. I'm on my last page, so this is getting good. Christ's example. These are a lot of things. There's a lot of things in here that God is asking us to do, and, and that's really great. We should do it because He says so. But what makes it even better is that Christ went through this with us, and He's like the perfect model for this situation. Uh, does Jesus Christ have anything to say on the topic of loving our enemies? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Yes, He does. Matthew 5. Verse 43. It says here, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. Man, that sounds really good. Uh, Verse 44. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. This is the hard thing I was talking about earlier. Where it's tough to put into practice loving your enemies, uh, bless them when they curse you, pray for them when they... I forget how it goes, but you know what I mean. Praying for them, blessing them, loving them. That's tough. Uh, there's a real good example of how Christ did this for us. Turn to Romans 5, 6. Romans 5, 6 says, For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Notice in verse 10 how it says that we were enemies of God. So if you're not saved tonight, you were and are an enemy of God, and he doesn't want you to be an enemy. Uh, Check out what Christ did for us in Luke 23, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 23, verse 24, no, verse 34, sorry, 23, verse 34, and here's a perfect example of what uh, David did, it said, then then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast part, and they parted his raiment and cast lots. In a time where Jesus Christ was crucified, if things were right, he would have crucified everyone on earth for that. You know, if he had got his vengeance, he would have crucified millions of people. But he forbeared the cross, uh, the vengeance from that, and he forgave everyone who was there. That's pretty amazing. If you're saved tonight, I just want to challenge you with uh, a couple things. And then I have one last illustration that I started with the teens this morning, but I haven't finished it. So if you're saved tonight, reach out to your enemies with love for Christ this week. Here's a really cool story uh, in, our, in our teen book about a Christian 
who was really challenged uh, by a, a not nice person, <laughs> uh, a neighbor who was taking advantage of him. It goes like this. The story is told of two Chinese men who owned rice paddies on the same side of a mountain. The man whose paddy was on the top was a Christian. The farmer just below him was unsaved. The Christian farmer would wake up early each morning, and as soon as the sun would rise he, and spend several hours, he would spend several hours hand-pumping water from the canal at the base of the mountain to wet his field. Long after he was done, the farmer below would come, poke a hole in the dirt wall that separated their fields, and held the water for the rice. And of course, by making the hole in the wall, the lower farmer could drain all the water into his own field and save himself hours of labor. The Christian farmer was frustrated at first, uh, but he said nothing. But as the practice continued, however, he found himself becoming embittered toward his neighbor. This especially bothered him since he hoped to see his heathen neighbor trust Christ. Finally, he asked his Christian friend for advice, and his friend answered, Love your enemies. The man walked away, pondering those words and trying to understand how he could do that. Soon he came up with a plan. When he woke up, he would go pump water on the other man's field first and then do his own. A few weeks went by and, the cha uh, and two changes took place. First, the, as the Christian pumped water for his neighbor, every trace of bitterness in his heart was transformed into forgiving compassion. And secondly, the unsaved farmer was convicted of his sin by the generosity of his neighbor. And soon he trusted Christ as his Savior. So that's pretty cool. The two men became best friends. That's a pretty neat story of taking a bad situation uh, with someone who is likely an enemy, loving them instead, and he won him to Christ. So my hope for you, lastly, is that this week uh, you can forgive your enemy I hope that you can restrain from destroying your enemy by vengeance. I hope that you can love your enemy like Christ loves you and me. And you can be a light to your enemy for Christ. Let's pray real quick. Dear Lord, I thank you for this night. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this uh, wonderful account from David and how...